1: Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast all about Star Trek, the next generation for Holosuite Media. I'm your host, Baz Grind, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-captain, Jeff Owen. Jeff, how are you today?
2: I've been upgraded to captain. Wow, OK. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty good, thanks. Although I, I think, going by our conversation so far, I think this could be the plague podcast uh, that we're talking about, because I think we're all feeling a bit under the weather.
1: Yeah, possibly wrong show, but possibly phage maybe. Yeah, or <laughs> slightly under the weather, but we'll all of deep gravelly voices. So yeah, and uh, we've also got another guest. So join us to talk original series crossovers in the next generation. Is Ashley Thomas? Welcome to Beyond Firepoint, Ashley.
0: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
1: Brilliant. Good, good to have you on. I know we've uh, podcasted and other things that we made this, but it's good to get over here, you over here at uh, Beyond Farpoint Two. And as you're new to the podcast, we thought it'd be good to quiz you about your Star Trek fandom. So, uh, first question then, how long have you been a Star Trek fan?
0: Since I first saw the 2009 movie, Hate All You Want, but that's what brought me in. Uh, My uh, husband, who was then boyfriend, uh, he took me on a date to the Dollar Theatre because we were poor. And (laughs) we saw the 2009 Star Trek movie, and I absolutely loved it. I had never watched anything Star Trek before in my life, and uh, I got home and immediately started watching TOS because it was streaming on Netflix. So um, started there, took the next six years to watch all of Star Trek that was available at that point, so I watched all the movies, all the shows, and uh, I love it. Now writing about Star Trek is my day job, so...
1: Yeah, quite quite a journey for you then. Yeah, so you go going yeah, lab, Yeah, yeah. You, you you interviewed quite a few of the uh, stars of Star Trek too, haven't you? Uh,
0: yeah, I've had the good fortune to interview uh, some of the cast and crew of Star Trek Discovery, uh, Star Trek Picard, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, I've gotten to talk with uh, both the Hegeman brothers who uh, run Star Trek Prodigy and Mike McMahon who runs Star Trek Lower Decks. So That's amazing. Uh, I've had uh, a really good time doing that. Uh, all for Fangirlish.com, by the way. I'm not that. Famous on my own. <laughs> we'll, we'll
2: plug it on the notes as well. Not jealous <laughs> here uh-huh. at all, by the way. Not jealous yeah, at no. all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know,
0: right? So, what is
2: your favorite Star Trek series? Uh, why is it Deep Space Nine, and where does the next generation rank among them? <laughs> I've inserted that little <laughs> bit, don't worry. Uh,
0: truth be told, I haven't found a Star Trek I haven't liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going uh, from original series through, like, you know, Enterprise uh, I would say my favorite is Voyager. Okay. Um, mostly because I love Janeway. Janeway's Janeway rocks. If we're talking New Trek, yeah, she does. Uh, if we're talking New Trek, I think my favorite out of all the New Trek is Discovery. Again, hate all you want, but uh, Queen Sinequa, all hail. Uh, I love Michael Burnham. Tilly is one of the only times I've ever seen someone who I felt was like me on screen, so I love Tilly. Uh, there's just a lot of characters i really relate to in that particular iteration of star trek there's a lot of um good stuff in there that i just i just really love and so it's it's my favorite of all the new trek
1: amazing brilliant so of course we are here on a tng podcast so talking Mm -hmm. tng who is your favorite character in the next generation
0: oh man i think tng probably has the best ensemble cast and so i really just love everyone there i gotta say and this is this is totally influenced from when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, my favorite uh, animated series, and actually still, it's still my favorite animated series, is uh, Disney's Gargoyles, which features half the cast of Next Generation. And so I had this really weird, surreal experience watching Next Gen, and I'm hearing Xanatos, who's played by. Uh, Jonathan Frakes, you know, Riker. And I was like, he's not a villain in this? <laughs> ah! Uh, and then uh, Marina Sirtis also played uh, a villain in Gargoyles. And I was like, she's a counselor? She's And she's nice? This is very confusing. Um, but I, I think I have the most fun watching Worf. I think he's uh, definitely one of the more interesting characters. Uh, I just really love him. But I'm also slightly in love with Riker. I just got to be honest. Um, uh, You know, I, I love Riker too, so... I think they're probably my two favorites, but I would say that for me, like, I go back and watch TNG quite a bit just because I think they have the best ensemble. I think, you know, the the, the whole crew is one character in some ways.
2: I can't argue with that, to be honest. Um, we, we've had some amazing crews and ensembles over the years, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think the next gen just, I mean, the fact that they're all still friends um, to this day, mm. I think says it all. And you look at the original series and you know... Shatner and his co-stars don't always get along. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. Um, so, what's your favourite episode of The Next Generation?
0: Oh, man. This is a tough one. You know, I I mean, I'm going to be really basic. I'm going to say uh, Best of Both Worlds, parts one and two. I think you get, you get to see, really, the best of our cast and crew. Uh, you get to to see them, you know, working through this really incredibly difficult situation. Um, And obviously that episode still rings true for a lot of people. It's, you know, major influence on Star Trek Picard today. But I'm going to say Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2. I think those are probably my favorites.
1: Oh, he's a classic for a reason, yeah. I mean, he is so good, isn't he? Yeah. So he's brilliant, yeah, definitely.
0: Rab. so um, let's
1: get into why we're here then. So last year, listeners will remember that Jeff and I took... A look at TNG character crossovers in other Star Trek series, such as Lower Decks and Voyager. Well, this time, we are talking original Star Trek character crossovers in the next generation. So, uh, while uh, Gene Roderby largely mandated that next generation stand on its own from the original series, some of the more memorable episodes feature the 60s crew, um, starting with McCoy in the pilot episode. So, let's... Um, before we get into details, let's start with quite right at the beginning in uh, his cameo in of Firepoint. Ashley, what do you think of, of, of that scene they he has with to in the pilot episode?
0: Uh, I definitely laughed <laughs> out loud. I was like, are you sure you're not a Vulcan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, DeForest Kelly is from not too far from where I grew up, um, maybe about three or four hours south. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, he he sounds like some of my uncles, so it just it kind of endears me to him a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's it's such a such a brief thing. But I'm like, oh, Deforest, oh, because uh, I, I mean, I don't think it was too long after that that he passed, right? Or He he passed not early years? Yeah, 90s, I don't, don't think it was
2: too long after that. Uh, sadly,
0: it must have been a few years.
1: Because uh, it must have been a few years cause we had two more movies with mm. McCoy and as Oh, the that's true. He was in that's five true. and six. So yeah. I don't know if he'd
2: yeah. uh, if he'd passed by the time of Generations. I suppose suspect he had james Dewan obviously um had by that mm. point oh mm. james De- no he wasn't because he was in star trek generation sorry my uh yeah he was <laughs> um, yes sorry brain fade moment there <laughs> um when we see mccoy show up in encounter at farpoint he's never actually named is he they never say oh admiral mccoy or dr mm. mccoy but you know he's played by deforest kelly no. he's got a Southern, uh, Southern accent, and he hates transporters, and he distrusts maybe Vulcans. So it's obvious who it's meant to be. But it obviously started this whole thing then of a previous generation crossing over and appearing in the pilot episode, because you then had Picard showing up in Deep Space Nine's pilot, Quark showing up in Voyager's pilot, Zephron Cochrane in Enterprise's pilot. You could kind of say that Sarek appears in Discovery's first episode, although it's obviously not Mark Leonard, and you know it's obviously it's a bit more woolly from there because you've got characters spinning off, shows spinning off. But um, yeah, I, I think to be honest, it's it started a trend in Star Trek, and I really like that.
1: Yeah, it did. I, I, don't, I don't know, Jeff. You and I, we. Uh... One of our very first episodes yeah. was talking in Encounter to a far point, and it's quite a almost a bit of a schmaltzy scene, but it's quite nice at the same time. And, and you are actually they, they, I like how they kind of play around with it that. It's like it's McCoy. They don't say it's McCoy. It kind of could be McCoy. It obviously, is McCoy, and um, it kind of works later on. So, uh, of course, some characters had more than just cameos, and over the bulk of the of this episode, we're going to look at the return of Sarek, Spock, and Scotty in episode Sarek Unifications Part One and Two, and of course, Relics. But Jeff. Are there any other kind of cameos or crossovers you want to call out before we get into those episodes?
2: There's Dr Bashir showing up in the two-part Birthright story. I know these aren't original series crossovers, um, mm. but they're crossovers into Next Gen. And obviously with Next Gen yeah. being the second main series, there isn't going to be much in the way of crossovers from later shows. As I said, we got Bashir show up in Next Generation's Birthright Part 1 um and then quark shows up for like three or four minutes in an episode in the seventh season beyond that i can't really think of any original series characters besides scotty mccoy sarek and spock that have appeared in original series and went on to next generation
1: yeah i think i think you're right i think the only other kind of cameo i can really think of is obviously going full circle with janeway and nemesis but um Obviously, yeah. Picard might be a different story. We have, we're still in Picard as we're recording, so who knows who's going to turn up on that? But uh, that's a different show entirely. But yeah, I think, uh, I, I, think I think I think you're right on crossover. I think that was that was it really for for next gem.
2: Can you count the EMH showing up in First Contact?
1: I think you can. Yeah, it's it's almost him, isn't it? It's kind of a version of him, certainly.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, there there's also um, the one episode of Voyager where um, George Takei shows up as Sulu. But it's, mm. it's I guess it's not really a next gen yeah. crossover, but
1: and, and Janice Rand as well, isn't it? Janice Rand and 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 uh, Sulu, yeah. So you've got those oh, two yeah. Kind of characters, yeah, from in, in the kind of the alternate version or the, the events surrounding Undiscovered Country, yeah. That's another kind of a 30th anniversary, like um, DS9 did uh, the tribbles, and they? The um, so they went back into the. Uh, Troubles episode which is a marvelous episode. You've also yeah. got three
2: klingons showing up in deep space 9. Sulu yep. shows up in lower decks as well, which I loved that cameo. But obviously when you're talking about next generation, we're only really talking about this handful of characters. Um Star yeah. Trek subsequently has been able to open it up and get cameos across the board, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Particularly lower decks. Lower decks just and <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so let's jump into our first episode deep dive then. We'll look at season three, Sarak. So this was the 23rd episode of the show's third season, written by S. Spiegel from a story by Mark Cushman and Jake Jacobs. It was directed by Las Lando and aired in the US in 1990 in the UK in April 1992. Because, yeah, actually, we had to wait a good two or three years after US broadcast back in the, uh, the 90s for wow. next year. It was a long, long wait, yeah. So in this episode, legendary Federation Ambassador Sarak arrives on the Enterprise to negotiate a treaty 93 years in the making, only for the crew to learn about his failing health. So, um, Ashley, coming to you first then, what are your thoughts on this episode and how it deals with a legacy character like Mark Leonard Sarak?
0: First of all, I just got to say, I missed that it was uh, written by Peter S. Beagle. That's the guy that wrote uh, The Last Unicorn which uh, is a wonderful fantasy novel that people need to read. Also is a movie that scared the hell out of me when I was six years old. Uh, I was, you know, when I first watched it, 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 it didn't hit me quite. It's like, oh, snap, that's the guy that played Sarek in the original series. It's the same dude. Okay. Uh, it hits me a little a uh, little differently now because, you know, not only do I recognize, oh, it's Martin Leonard, but also recognize uh, his role in um, Balance of Terror. As the as the Romulans. So I'm like yeah. there's a lot of gravitas that's coming to this role. So uh really enjoyed that. I, I think you know, for two hundred and two he's looking pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh I was just gonna say as well that um Obviously, we've got Mark Leonard coming back. You you mentioned him as mm-hmm. um, as the Roman commander in Balance of Terror. Of course, he's one of the few actors to play the three main alien races because he was the Klingon captain in Star Trek The Motion Picture as well. But, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing because of the original run, you only saw Sarek show up in Journey to Babel. Mm. Um, he obviously showed up in a couple of the movies from there, but he... Kind of appeared in more episodes of Next Generation now than the original series because <laughs> he's appeared in the two yeah. episodes which we're going to be talking about both of them today, but only the one original series episode which is obvious. Yeah, he's, when he's, you think about in some ways he's, but...
1: he's more of a legacy character. He's a more legacy character. The movies and he? he was in three, four, and six. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's how I remember. Sarek. you know, I I probably watched Joe DeBabel maybe once or twice back in back in the day, but I remember Sarek. From the movies, and mm. I think, and that's the kind of the character probably a lot of people would have connected with when he showed up in this episode too. What do you think of his relationship with his wife Perrin, uh, played by Jonah Miles, and how she compares to his previous wife Amanda as well? Again, Amanda's a character we probably knew more from Star Trek Three than mm. uh, the original series. What right. think, Jeff?
2: She's very much cut from the same cloth, isn't she, Perrin. Yeah. I, I mean, it's obvious that we're not going to have Amanda again because she, human lifetime isn't going to last that long. Um, but yeah, I I really like Perrin. I I think, weirdly, I think they gave Perrin more of a personality, more of a character than they did with Amanda. Amanda was such a big part of it. We know Amanda obviously is Spock's mother, but yeah, I I I think you can see from his relationship with Perrin that he loves her, he lo- uh, adores her mm. as much as he loved Amanda. So yeah, I I think she's a, she's a great. Modern version of Amanda.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I I I my memories of Amanda in the previous canon are are very foggy because it's been mm. a minute since I've seen any of the uh, films and things like that. It's silly, but all I could think about was like, what is their age difference now? Like, <laughs> it's like, two hundred and two. She's like maybe fifty five, <laughs> maybe. So I thought that. That was a little odd, but
1: yeah, Sarik likes his uh, his wife's human and, and young. Apparently,
2: that's the, the...
0: apparently. Also, I'm just yeah. like Sarik can still like get it. Apparently,
2: that's yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder how long, as well, Perrin's been in his life. Whether she's, right. you know, she's known him for ten years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever. Um, so if she started seeing him when she was young. That would have been even more of a an obvious age difference from their point yeah, of view. Yeah, quite possibly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always got from this episode and from Unification that like they had been together for quite a long time mm. as well, you know, a good at least 20 years together, yeah, so... um yeah so um the, i i like again i, I agree I, th- I think um amanda probably gets more to do in probably this we don't know why to play during the um, 2009 reboot movie and then obviously there was the actress playing her in discovery as well that's kind of when amanda got got some b- bit more character maybe a little bit um right. I, I still don't remember too much in, in discovery but i know she was around a bit more there but um right. but yeah, yeah i think per- per- Perrin's is a great addition. I, I really like perrin i like her interactions with Picard in this episode and of course unification too so we learn in this episode that Sarak is suffering from Bendai Syndrome, which prevents him from being able to meditate and suppress his emotion. I think that scene in the concert where Sarak starts to cry is some really powerful stuff. What do you think, Ashley?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as someone who is is moved to tears by music, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, mm. that's really nice. And I'm like, oh, wait, you're not supposed to do that. You're a Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, that'll sneak up on you. So uh, interesting tell there. Interesting way for him to show some emotion without it being too overt for it to uh, really throw anybody off except for him you know getting up to leave so yeah i i think that was a nice um a nice way to uh demonstrate what was going on
2: yeah i i have been known to get emotional through pieces of music as well not normally for instrumental pieces but normally if there's lyrics or something that's that's quite emotional then yeah I can, uh, I mean, as you know, I do uh, amateur dramatics and I have sometimes had a song that I've had to perform, even if it's a part of. And I can just feel the emotion welling up inside before I'm about to sing a line. Mm. And it's sometimes quite hard to do it when you're thinking too much about that line. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely get that. Um and obviously, we see what his repressed emotions is doing to the rest of the crew as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that scene before we get on to the repressed emotions and how they impact the crew as mm. well. Um, I like I like how they use Troy for that scene. You know, Troy, Troy is the one to pick up like something slightly odd here. Yeah. Um, it's a nice nice way of doing it because obviously, sensing emotions, so I've been empath as well. I really like how uh, she they use Troy in that in that in that scene as well to kind of pick up on that. Um, yeah, so you talked about the impacts of Sam's emotions spin on the crew. I mean, this is probably where the episode maybe goes uh, a little bit over top, particularly the uh, the scene in ten four. What do you think of those scenes, Ashley? <laughs> uh,
0: those were really kind of entertaining to watch. On some of them, like, oh, oh, this is this is not normal. <laughs> I actually think the scene with like Wesley and Jordy at the at the open was a little more powerful, um, mm. just because it was so contrary to anything we'd really seen from either of their characters before um so that that one I think struck me a little harder the uh, yeah. the the bar fight at 10 forward um it was like okay yeah something's really going on here now uh but it was it was honestly in some some ways a little more amusing to me than yeah. like oh this is uh disconcerting the bar fight in 10 forward reminded
2: me a bit of the westerns you get when somebody walks into the to the saloon yeah. and suddenly everybody's throwing everybody else over the bar. Um, I found it quite funny because literally only about 10 seconds before you've got Geordie there trying to calm things down before it takes off. And you can yeah. tell he's had no luck whatsoever. I quite liked as well the moment where Picard and Riker are going at each other and suddenly mm. Picard sort of clocks, whoa, hang on a minute, this isn't right, something's affecting us. Because, um, who is it, is it Deanna at that point sort of shuts them down?
1: Um, yeah, I think so.
2: But, um, yeah, that, I mean, those moments are pretty good. The, the bar fight, I think, was funny. Um, he was. <laughs> but, yeah, the Wesley and Geordie fight, uh, particularly, there was one funny moment, actually, where he, uh, where Wesley picks on... Geordie about the fact of his love life on the holodeck which I thought we've discussed (laughs) before on the show but then Picard and Riker basically trying to decide on what the best course of action is with Sarek and ironically that causes the argument to try and stop other people arguing over um, uh, and having these emotions oh and I've just remembered as well Beverly slaps Wesley is so well. Wesley, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, that was quite harsh as well. That was that's um, that was quite a moment.
1: Yeah, there's a, I mean, I think um, these scenes and um, they kind of work, they're a bit over the top, but it kind of works in the context. And I think particularly mm. the uh, the bar fight, Picard, literally says, "Is it my imagination? of tempers become a little flared recently?" Cue open doors and fight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I quite, it's, a, it's a little over the top. But I think actually adds some because there's some quite heavy stuff going on with Sarah and obviously Picard later on as well. I think adds a little bit of levity to the episode as well, which I quite 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 enjoy. Mm. So yeah, I mean, let's talk. I think Mark Leonard is really terrific in this episode. I think this particularly what really struck me as well. Is that scene where you start where Picard basically kind of confronts him about you have this in you have Bendy syndrome and you can't do the negotiations? And that um, it's the way that Mark Leonard delivers that performance, the anger starts to kind of spill through him. I think it's so amazingly done
2: mm. because he hasn't got the help then of his aide, um, because yeah, he's been trying be, to shield him, yeah, yeah, he'd been trying to help him with his emotions. He'd been said, All right, I won't do it anymore, and he leaves. And straight away, Sarek's anger starts building and building, and uh, he doesn't realise just how much this is mm. overtaking his uh, his ability to control these emotions. So yeah, it's it's a fascinating scene to watch as he slowly comes to terms with the fact of, oh yeah, I really am losing mm. control of my emotions.
0: No, nothing, yeah. nothing more to add there. That was yeah, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely great. Yeah, and um. Because that leads to his parent's suggestion, then obviously that he does the uh, mind melds. And I like that, um, you know, Sarek warns that the risk to be That obviously, at this point, Sarek is in a condition when he can't negotiate this kind of critical peace treaty, which has literally been 93 years in the making. Volkers live long lives, they really put the effort into the work. It takes 93 years, you know, try can you imagine spending 93 years on a piece of work? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a long, long time, but uh. I like as well that um, she goes, Picard. You'll be getting overwhelmed by the onset of emotions. And my only thought was, well, that's fine. Patrick Stewart, he's up to the acting challenge. And I think when we get into that scene as well with with um, post mind meld is great as well. But uh, what do you think of the kind of build build up to that scene with, with Patrick Stewart and when they actually do the mind meld itself?
0: Oh, just really blown away uh, by his dramatic performance. Mm. Um, you know, just. Yeah, we 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 get we get him to mind melt. And, you know, we figured that was going to happen, but then like, oh, what are the consequences of that? Yeah. Um, my goodness, uh, really really strong uh, dramatic performance mm. from uh, from Patrick Stewart there.
3: I'm so old. There is nothing left
0: but dry bones,
3: dead friends. <sighs> Tired. Oh, so tired. It will pass all of it. Just another hour or so. You're doing fine. Just hold on. No! This weakness disgusts me. I hate it! Where is my logic? I am betrayed by desires. Oh I want to feel. I want to feel everything. But I am a Vulcan. I must feel nothing. I can give me back my control. jean Luke. wanted to give you so much more. I wanted to show you
0: such tenderness. I really loved um, getting to see Beverly, like just you know, be a good doctor. Like, hey, mm. I'm gonna yeah. walk you. I'm gonna walk you through this. You know, it's not gonna be that much longer you know you can get through it and uh yeah it's uh it's a lot it is it, it, it was definitely an emotionally weighty scene
1: it is it's a complete roller coaster isn't it the way it yeah. goes from the uh the kind of the old man and then kind of he's tired and it's and he's, he's like his instincts are fading here and then he goes into the i loved i loved his amanda loved perry and i love spock and that's when the spot gets a name drop as well into the tears as well and you uh i love the way that uh She goes, I'm not going anywhere and then when he goes, I can't stop crying now and she's like, Don't even try, just just deal with it as well and let it out as well. I think it was I think I thought Gates McFadden was particularly good in that scene as well. To support I mean Patrick Stewart was phenomenal, but I love the way that Gates McFadden supported him in that in that scene as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of a lot of times people talk about Patrick Stewart's performance in Chain of Command. I think what he does in this episode is a very very close second uh, to yeah. the acting that he does in chain of command and a lot of people think that he should have got an Emmy or some kind of acting award for um, for his role in chain of command part two i kind of think that this should have been nominated as well because mm. he just absolutely nails it and you see this going on. You don't see what's happening with the negotiations. You don't see Sarek at the at the negotiation table. It's all at that point. It's a two man show. It's Picard and Beverly. Sorry, two man, two person show. Um, it's Picard yeah. and Beverly, and yeah, it's that could be a stage play that on its own. Yeah. Um, it's it's phenomenal to watch.
1: It is. It, it, I mean, you talk about Chain of Command, it's, it's up there with the uh, the four lights scene from Chain of Command. Mm. It's up there with him breaking down in family after the trauma of the assimilation with his brother as well. Yes. You know, that, that scene in family where he breaks in the mud. These are really, this is, this is why Parish Theory is so good. You know, and it seems like this, i forgot forgotten, I remember family quite well. Obviously everyone remembers the four lights, but I forgot how good this scene was as mm. well. It's definitely a highlight of the episode. As good as Mark Leonard is, I think then Patrick Stewart comes in and just kind of blows out of the water, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They talk about Mark Leonard, the, the other thing I quite liked, you don't see, you're right, you don't see much of the negotiations as well. But I really liked as well, uh, Mark Leonard's kind of almost, I want to call it pitch perfect, num- addressing Riker as number one. You know, that kind of okay. Picardism he has in his voice, obviously they've melded and there's a bit of Picard's kind of stabilizing uh Sarak to enable him to do the negotiations but it's also, you know, that kind of personality comes through and the way he he says number one to Riker was was, was I think, pitch perfect too. Yeah. Yeah. So um any other kind of final thoughts on sight before we move on to unification then?
2: Uh the only thing I had um was just obviously with the fact of when this show is um when this show is filmed I couldn't remember if this came out before or after Star Trek Five, and I kind of wonder if Picard would have had any knowledge of Cybok transferred over at this point. Yeah. And, and obviously it's a character that wasn't due to be created for another couple of decades, but I wonder if he knew anything about Burnham at this point, and I wonder if Burnham is likely to... Rear her head at some point in Picard season
1: three. I mean, I love it if they if they kind of if I think if they do uh, have anything the impact of Sarek in Picard. I'm not sure they will. I think there's a lot to cover in, in Picard still, mm. and we're kind of halfway through and watching it. But as we were calling this, but um, yeah, I kind of um, I think yeah, uh, if, if they do, I think it's a perfect opportunity to, to kind of bring in my uh, reference to Michael as well. I'm not sure they'll do it in terms of Sibok. I'm pretty certain. It was during season two mm. that the second movie came out. Fifth movie came out, I think, but I might be wrong. I'm pretty certain it would have come out by this point, certainly.
0: Yeah, because Sar- uh, I just looked it up. That was uh, June 1989. Yeah, um, this is was
1: 1990, wasn't it? So yeah, Sibok would have been out and known to people by the time this scene came out. So um, yeah, obviously maybe.
2: Sarek wouldn't want the knowledge of Sibok no. that well known. <laughs> um, yeah, no. but you know, Picard's in his head, so yeah. he's going to be rooting around in there. Um, unwillingly. I'm wondering if he's picking up anything to do with Cyborg or Michael Burnham at that point. Quite possibly yeah. (laughs) So let's
1: talk unification then. So this two-part sees Picard and Data sent on a secret mission to Romulus to track down Ambassador Spock who may have defected and and uncovered an attempt to unite the Vulcan and Romulan people. So uh, this is a big, big two-part and it came out before the release of Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country and was kind of almost like a bit of publicity for that movie Mm. as well. So part one, the seventh episode of season five, which was actually filmed second to accommodate Lennon and Ilmour's schedule, was written by Jerry Taylor and McBerman. Part two was written by Michael Piller and McBerman and, and directed by Cliff Boyle. Part one was also directed by Les Lander as well. So they aired in the US in November 1991 and February 1995. So that was a three and a half year wait for us for, the, for that to come out. So three and a half months. Actually, meant. three and a half, yeah. three <laughs> well, years, yeah. yeah. Three and <laughs> a half years, yeah. <laughs> Quite a long time. So... Ashley, are you a fan of unification and how it reintroduces Spock eighty years after the events of the movies?
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I I I really love the idea that um, Spock is uh, is just despite his lack of emotion, is is clearly a very passionate man. Mm. And he is all about, hey, if we can you know, bring end to war through this, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's see how we can make yeah. this happen. Uh, and, you know, previous uh, engagements with the Romulans have always been, well, who's got the bigger stick? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it it, it seems like they'll, there'll never be peace there. And yet that Spock says, hey, we've got to try. Um, so I, I think that that's it's peace is always a worthy goal how can we get there and I, I think this is a, a really powerful episode uh a two-part episode powerful uh performance from Leonard Nimoy um it's hard not to get a little uh emotional seeing him on screen uh, mm. you know you know even even you know several years pa- after his passing I'm just like oh man there he, there yeah.
1: he is <laughs> yeah definitely I mean I think the Romans have. Pretty much, they've been the the recurring big bad of. Uh, I think I would almost that while the Borg probably caused the most devastation. I I, I always think the Romulans was the big bad of Next Gen. You know, all of this goes on, particularly on season three, Defector, and so on. Obviously, Sela turns up and they and on that. The Romulans are always that kind of thorn in the Federation's side. So I, I like how they're really kind of focusing on them here as well. What about you, uh, Jeff? And um, what do you think of the idea of Spock defecting to Romulus as the narrative hook of the uh, two-parter as well?
2: Well, first of all. The first time I saw this, it was as a movie-length episode because Sky here in the UK had a special deal where even before they showed most of season five uh, or the beginning of season five, they showed this on one of the movie channels. Um, And I didn't realise at the time that this was a season five two-parter. They just cobbled it together. Um, A 90-minute Star Trek The Next Generation special, if you like. And I thought, oh, fantastic. And I think I'd only seen about two or three seasons at that point and not realising that there was much of a history going on here. But I knew Spock was in it and I thought, I've got to see this. And he doesn't show up until the end of part one, obviously. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, that that's a great way of getting people interested. And yeah, Defected to Romulus? Oh... I don't know how I felt at the time, in all honesty. I don't know if there were any part of me that thought, no, he can't be, surely. He he can't be switching over to the other side. But you see him, he's there, in that picture, clear as day on Romulus. Mm. And we know since Balance of Terror that the Romulans and the Vulcans are basically the same race. The Romulans are an offshoot of it. And yeah, it's in hindsight it's easy to say because it's like Spock would never do that, yeah, but I, I genuinely can't remember what my thoughts were at the time, I'm sorry to say,
1: yeah, I, I can't remember either at the time I and mean, almost I mean watching it now in hindsight, you know it's not possible, mm. but I, I, I think it's like a narrative hook. you're almost like, well, it can't be possible, surely not, but how are they explaining this? and I think mm. I, I think as, as a hook for the story, I, th- I think it's really, really strong.
2: Yeah, one thing about seeing the uh, movie-length version when I did and not being familiar with it the recent couple of seasons was I remember wondering why the hell Denise Crosby was a Romulan (laughs) at that point, because I hadn't seen Redemption, hadn't seen The Mind's Eye, and it's like, what the hell is going on? And Yeah, it, it really confused me at the time as to why... Um, Denise Crosby was there playing a Romulan, and I didn't find that out until Redemption. Obviously.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We we'll, we'll, we'll definitely got on to Seela. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm. We, we, we are fans of Seela, aren't we? On, on this. Uh, it's compulsory as well.
2: that we've mentioned Seela every episode, and now we have a reason <laughs> to talk about Seela.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yes. So, yeah. So anyway, obviously this is a sequel to *Sarek* as well, um, in that it marks Mark Leonard's second and final appearance on the show. So yeah, he beats TOS by one episode. Uh-huh. What do you think of the scene then, uh, Ashley, where Picard visits him on Vulcan?
0: Uh, again, very emotionally impactful. Um, really solid dramatic performance from Mark Leonard here. know, he, you know, to get him to come out of his, you know, state. Uh, you know, mm. he's, he mentions Spock. And that's what, that's what pulls him out. He's like, Spock? So that, that was very, uh, uh, just emotionally impactful that, you know, he was able to kind of regain control for just a little bit before reverting back to his, uh, you know, an unfortunate, uh, state of mental illness. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if either of you have had much experience with, uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, but, uh. uh my great grandmother had it, and and it was it was kind of like that, where she would have these moments of clarity, and 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 then, uh, you know, unfortunately would you know not remember who we were or or what she was doing, and, and all of that. So it was it was really, it was really hard to see her like that, and, and and this is akin to that in a way. Yeah, yeah.
2: I don't have any of my family who's been affected, but my previous job um, i spent a year dealing with people who needed sort of home help and you dealt a number of times with people over the phone with you know various stages of cognitive disorders vascular dementia um alzheimer's disease you know many different things and i actually went along to the home of one of our clients at the time and it 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 does hit hard. It's it's. I have a lot of respect for people that live with someone who suffers from it because mm. I don't know. I, I suppose it's one of those things that you'd know how you'd cope with it if um if if something happens to one of your family and yeah. Um, uh, I I don't. I don't know how I cope, to be honest. I don't know what that would make of me.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's debilitating stuff, isn't it? And um, I think the way that com- obviously it's uh, it's like a dementia with Sarah on screen as well. And The way they capture that is uh, it's really tragic and really kind of haunting the way they do it. But I think very well done as well. And I think, you like I said, Leonard's performance it's uh, it's not gratuitous, but it feels very genuine in that, that performances as a kind of. Fun. It's not his final scene, obviously. It's not his final appearance on the franchise because Star Trek Six would come out a month later, mm. and that would technically be Mark Leonard's final final kind of performance. But uh, as a final scene, you, you, actually the way the way he kind of snaps out when he hears Spock, and then because they to connect with him that one time um, is is you know great stuff. But it's, it's that moment when Picard helps him make the gesture and that yeah. music before he completely regresses is really really heartbreaking, to breaking to watch, definitely.
2: And he can't yeah. even finish saying lo- "Live long and prosper." As yeah. Well. It's, yeah. It's, it's really yeah. sad. And and you know that the condition is taking over him again when Picard mentions Pardek and you see the confused look on Sarek's face. It's, oh, how do you know about Pardek? Mm. Even though they've just been talking about him for the last couple of minutes. So yeah. yeah, it's it's um it's a very, very emotional scene, very heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of flip bit just something probably a bit more kind of uh, almost fun in a way in terms of the episode what did you think of Picard's attempts to get Gowan's attention to get that cloaked <laughs> vessel to take the wrongness I really liked how they trying <laughs> to get clear of space and completely being shut down because Gowan's far too busy for him uh, rewriting history so what do you think of those scenes actually
0: oh it, it was that was very tactfully done Picard has always been uh, just uh, you know the diplomat the you know, yeah. the, ever, you know the consummate diplomat and uh, I would have been all like, "Screw you!" <laughs> so, so uh, I, I, I really appreciated that uh, the way that he handled is like, "Oh, well, I will go talk to so and so, and then they will have our gratitude." I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's how that's how you get his attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, he certainly put the junior Addison to the diplomatic delegation in his place. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I
2: love the line as well. We will ask someone else. And they will have our gratitude. <laughs> so yeah. much in that line, it was brilliant. Yeah, it,
1: it is. And I also liked him when he's on the ship as well. And he's like, uh, they try to put him off as, oh, good fresh gar. I haven't had that for ages, and he's just really going for it as well. You know, <laughs> he's not letting the fact that they try to kind of just almost humiliate him and uh, stick him in this kind of box with Data and laugh at him. And, and Picard rises to the occasion every single time. Mm. So I think that's really, really good too.
2: Was it Eric Avari from Stargate SG One as the junior adjutant as well? I don't know if either of you are familiar with.
1: Oh, yeah, I am, yeah. So I'm familiar with, with SG One, um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Actually, you're you're IMDb checking now, yeah? I I, <laughs> say,
0: I, I am a compulsive IMDb checker. Hold please. Hold oh, please. <laughs> uh, but uh, I I have seen some of SG One, but not all of it, and so that that name's not ringing a bell yeah. off the top of my head.
1: Well, why you check that? Um, I also like the scene where he he mocks them when um, when when Data and Picard are actually they they made up to look They look really good as romans as well. I think the yeah. makeup's great. The way the way they do that as well. And um, he goes, don't, "Don't you look sweet?" I, I think I think I, I love the Cleon captain in these two episodes as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, again, as you said, he's he's um, the Cleon captains there trying to get Picard or Data to bite and you know get yeah. annoyed with him. And Picard rises to the challenge all all the time. And it's like, you're not going to get data to rise to the challenge of anything. He's an android.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: But what what this reminded me as well, obviously, we've recently seen Picard and Riker sharing bunks in Star Trek Picard. And watching this episode back and seeing Picard on this rock-hard Klingon bed, I kept thinking... Mm. Which would you prefer, this one or bunking was Riker? <laughs> 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 I,
1: I, I think Riker's a snorer. I can't do it.
0: Right. I possibly, yeah. Right. What was the actor's name? Eric Avari? Uh, Eric Avari. Yes, you are correct. He is uh, Because I, I think is how you say
2: it. I meant to look it up after watching it and I completely forgot to.
0: But yes, yes, I do. I do remember him now. Yes, okay.
1: There you go. Know, RGB yeah. gives everything we need. So um, I also really like the scenes when they were in Romulus. Well, you know, really also that leads up to Spock's reveal. You know, where is Spocky? Finally, turns up at the end of part one. What do you think of those scenes actually on the streets of Romulus and, and the kind of the build up to the kind of the ending with um, Spock's reveal?
0: I I thought that that was brilliant. I, I thought the the whole. <laughs> data you're walking rather like an android (laughs) (laughs) uh uh, that that was really fun uh enjoyed seeing them both in uh full romulan uh attire and um makeup and such that was really fun but yeah it was uh it was exciting to to get to, to get to that reveal like oh there he is okay now something's happening. I, I don't know, would it have, uh, I haven't gone to look at like promos for the episode, but would that have been really promoted that, hey, Spock uh, is going to show up in this episode and everyone's going to be like, say what?
1: Oh, I, I think the promos were always teasing to tell yeah. exactly what's happened mm. in I uh, yeah. And I see there's certainly revealed in the trailer for part two. So uh, right. yeah, so, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't think the uh, trailers, they were uh, concerned with getting people to watch then to kind of worry about spoiling anything, certainly.
2: Right. I, I think yeah. Leonard Nimoy's name doesn't appear until the end of the credits, neither does it of part one. Right. So, um, yes, so if yeah, you weren't expecting same. it, then it would justifiably be a surprise at the end.
1: Yeah, but they do show Spock at the beginning on, on the footage. So I don't know. Maybe you know, you kind of were expecting him to show up mm. maybe in this one. I don't think they really kind of tried to deny that Spock's going to be there at some point. But uh, mm-hmm. I really like the stuff on the, I like, I like, I just love like when they're eating their soup and just the kind of the. Menace and fear and intrigue kind of going on the streets of Women's It doesn't, you know, it looks like a whole place to live. I'm thinking of the uh, that and then obviously the Cardassian stuff when you see in DS9 as well. they were quite similar in that respect, but just the kind of fear and paranoia that kind of runs runs across the place as well. It's uh, really, really effectively done for what has been essentially a few standing sets.
2: Yeah, and they get made straight away by these Romulans who are looking out for them because. Yeah, they just get taken straight out of this room, uh, straight Mm. out of the cafe. And they think they're about to be interrogated by, I don't know, the Tal Shiar or whatever. But sure enough, they're being taken to see Pardek, to see Spock. For some time now,
3: I've been aware of a growing movement here of people who seek to learn the ideals of the Vulcan philosophy. They've been declared enemies of the state. But there are a few in the Romulan hierarchy, like Pardek, who are sympathetic. He asked me to come now. Because he believes it may be time to take the first step toward reunification. Reunification after so many centuries? After so many fundamental differences have evolved between your peoples? It would seem unlikely to succeed, but I cannot ignore the potential rewards that a union between our two worlds would bring. What is this first step that Pardek suggests? There is a new proconsul in the Romulan Senate. He is young and idealistic. He has promised many reforms. Pardick believes that he may be receptive to discussing reunification. Why would you not bring something so important to the attention of your own people? Or the Federation? A personal decision, Captain.
1: So what do you think of the scenes then between Picard and Spock in the caves at the start of Part 2 then, Jeff.
2: Um, it's the scenes that you always wanted to see Picard mm. meeting this character because... Even though we'd seen Picard interacting with Sarek, there's a lot... Presumably there's there's people going, yeah, but we want to see Picard interacting with Spock. Like, we want to see Data interacting with Spock. And that, I'm sure, was on the top of everyone's list. Mm. We want to see how these two emotionless... That's not true because we know Spock has emotion. uh, These two emotionless characters get on together... But it was great seeing Picard the diplomat speaking to Spock the logical um, as well mm. and yeah it's it's a great scene and watching these two giants of Star Trek interacting for the first time on screen is amazing
0: yeah I, I would I would agree I, I think uh, what is particularly telling later in the episode where um, Spock describes Picard to data as rather uh, he was very Vulcan for a human. Mm um somewhat emotionless and yet you know there's there's still there's still passion and drive about him as well so um it's like yeah that's 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 actually a pretty fair description
1: yeah i also liked as well how picasso has authority in the situation he's the one accusing spock of having cowboy diplomacy and kind of um and you know he basically he's you know he's creating this kind of whole situation by being on one as well and a kind of threat to the federation so uh I like, again, how Spock turns it back. You know, I was involved in cowboy diplomacy long before you were born. Uh, that thing, like, long before you were born, when your were parents were in diapers, that comes up a lot in this and in Relics and, of course, in Generations with Kirk as well. So I really like that. But, um, yeah, again, I, I like the, uh, the line, you're as stubborn as another captain of the Enterprise I once knew as well. So it's... <laughs> it's nice how they bring it together and they're talking about the role in the Klingon peace treaty, which obviously is star Trek six, which is about to t- turn up in the, on the movies and the uh, month later. So I really like how they're kind of, it's almost scene setting as well for the movie that's coming out. i really advertising that and that, you know, we're going to get the peace treaty with the Klingons. That's the key part of star Trek six and Spock talks about it here as well. So I really like all that has a lot of that well-built in the reference to say Kirk as well. While there's also this debate between them and, um, you know, he's giving he's, he's accusing Picard of having a closed mind and that's not Picard at all and Picard's yeah, yeah, 'cause you've been a cowboy and that's not Spock at all, but they're kind of at odds as well, but in very much in keeping with their characters. Mm. So what did you think of their visit to Pro Consul Narole and the reveal that Seela is in league with with, uh, with him as well? Go on, Jeff. You love Sela, let's go for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> As I said, the problem is, because the first time I saw it, I had no idea who Seela was. It's It was more of a case of, why is Denise Crosby um, there? <laughs> and then when I went back and watched it afterwards, after seeing The Mind's Eye and Redemption, it's a case of, ah, now I know why she's there. But what's she doing with Niral? Why is she hooked up with him? And, obviously, it all starts explaining it, and they do want this unification, but more as a conquest of Vulcan. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it. The second time I watched it, it hit home more as to what was happening.
1: Yeah, it's a shame it's, it's Ciela's last episode, and we were talked about should have come back, should have come back in Nemesis, hope she comes back in Picard, you know, we always want, we all want more <laughs> Ciela. But I think, as an episode, you know, being involved, essentially, underhandedly arranging an invasion of Vulcan. It's pretty, pretty pretty cool, I think. So it's it's some good stuff for Celia in this episode. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really, really enjoyed her. Uh, Denise Crosby just chewing up the scenery uh, with this. It was really fun. Really fun to watch her.
1: You can tell she's having a great time with this character. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think she's enjoying playing Celia more than she did Tasha Young. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. I think I say you only kind of really got a sense of who Tasha ER could have been when you saw her in yesterday's Enterprise*. I think that was when, um, you know, because obviously all the cast evolved from their season one kind of personas as well. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think she she certainly has fun with the kind of the blonde wig and the big shoulder pads as well, and that is it's a it's a great kind of power move from her as well. Yeah. I also found it interesting how Spock deals with the obvious, a logical nature of Nero's win in support unification. He knows it's a trap, but he's like, you know, but. He's going to play that role that they've set for him as well. I I find um, Spock's approach quite interesting um, in this episode too.
2: Yeah, I quite like as well the hologram that they bring on board. The the sort of backup hologram in case they can't get Spock on board with what they're doing. Mm. Although it made me think, you know, we have seen holograms that you can interact with and they answer questions. So obviously Romulan holographic technology is not as good as Starfleet. Yeah. (laughs) But... I did love the way that they then use that hologram technology to get out of it as well. Yeah. By hiding behind the hologram. And, yeah, I I, I love that scene as well. One thing I'll always notice is I'll never not see the production team member that's reflected in this little sort of mirror thing that's on Niral's desk. As it, the camera pans across <laughs> it, you see him picked out and he's there with glasses and uh i got that from the nitpickers guides to for next generation trekkies uh, trekkies and i've <laughs> never been able to see it since
0: oh I, I i totally missed it so i'm gonna have to
2: look next time i watch <laughs> I, th- I think they've taken yeah. it out of the remastered ones but if you go back and watch the original standard definition ones he's there you can see him down in the bottom of the screen gotcha gotcha
1: Brilliant. A couple of things I want to talk about before we get into the kind of the climax of the episode with that invasion and Cilia as well. So, um, what about Ashley? The uh, the scene with Spock and Data on the Klingon ship. I, I really like how they're they're both polar opposites of each other, and yet obviously they're both the emotionless c- characters in their respective series. as Well, I like how the kind of the their conversation tackles that those different difference, differences between them.
0: Yeah, I, I I thought it was interesting. You know, again, I already mentioned how uh, Spock described Picard as somewhat emotionless, and Data says, well, that's very interesting. I have, I, I want to be more human, and I've kind of patterned a lot of my my subroutines on Picard. Mm. Uh, so I, I thought that was like a really interesting juxtaposition there. It also, I mean, it harkens me back to, you know, the pilot episode is like, are you sure you're not a Vulcan? Uh yeah. And 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 so there's this, this interesting parallels there between Data who wants to be more human, whereas a Vulcan would want to be more like Data. Mm. Uh, oh, and then Picard yeah. is kind of the in-between between all of those things. Like he's a human who is somewhat who is, who is somewhat uh, uh more like a Vulcan than a human. So you know, it's uh inter- interest lots of interesting uh uh, lines to be drawn there uh, that I, I found rather enjoyable.
1: So yeah, the other big plot running through across the episode is the mystery of the missing Vulcan ship part. So while Data and Picard are on, on Romulus, you've got Riker and the crew of Enterprise heading to this um track to track down the uh, this uh, Omarg, the Ferengi arms dealer. So um I I really like the scenes, particularly in Riker visits that shady bar. It's very uh, kind of very TOS in the kind of aesthetic. Very TOS movies, I thought. What do you cantina. think of those scenes, Jeff, in the bar? It's very cantina. Very cantina as it? well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think of those scenes? I,
2: I love it. I loved Amory, uh, the pianist, um, yeah, at the bar. She's brilliant. Um, I, I loved the fact of Riker starts talking to her. I oh, so i I've, "I've come to see you." Ah. I want to talk to you about your husband. Ah, and it was going so well. Apparently, the <laughs> her voice was dubbed. I only found that out today. But the entire, all of her sequences with Riker and the later hilarious sequence with Worf as well, um, yes, where Worf's yes. asking for the request, all of her lines are dubbed um, because apparently they weren't satisfied with the vocal performance from Harriet Leader, the actor. And she was dubbed by Judy Durand, the voice of the Deep Space Nine station computer. Oh, it?
1: Because I was going to say I really liked Harriet Lee's performance. I think mean, she's great, but even the voice is dubbed as well. Because I I love the interplay between mm. her and Riker, and then like basically killing her yeah killing her husband's payment, and then some twentieth century jazz kind of seals the deal as well. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of those scenes? Actually, what you mentioned, you love Worf. I, I love when Worf breaks into song with a Klingon opera <laughs> as well.
0: I, I, I was just reading on IMDb, as I want to do, uh, that apparently this was the first uh, instance of Klingon opera in the series. Wow. Ah, as okay. well as Worf's appreciation for it. So there you go.
1: It was a mainstay in DS9, wasn't it? But yeah, it's interesting. It's the first time.
0: Yes, yes. So that, that that's really interesting to me. I was wondering... Like, how did they do, uh, as a piano player, like, how did they do the piano playing? Did they get, you know, is this a Muppet kind of situation? Somebody Mm. else got their hands in there where we're, you know, we're doing some piano. So I don't know. I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah. So before we move on to the final episode of Relics, probably a couple things to kind of discuss and to wrap up then. So um, Spock refuses to go with uh, Celia's demands and send the message. Um, Like, his logical deduction is going to be killed anyway. I love Celia's reaction as well uh to to do I, I hate Vulcan's line. Yeah, T's coffee really kind of chewing the scenery there, but I really love that kind of whole climax when they outwit uh, out with the holograms as well and, and stop seeing on the tracks.
2: Yeah it's it's great, isn't it? Um the the sort of um climax of this, it's got some great moments. Um I, I also love some of the one liners as well. I, mm. I love for some reason there was one line when they say oh what's the head in Mr. Wharf and I, I thought It sounds like, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Um, (laughs) But it's quite telling as well how quickly Spock recognises Pardak as the traitor. um, Mm, That was an interesting twist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect that to happen at all. No. But the big thing as well, right at the very close of the episode, Picard's smile as he's passing on Sarek's memories to Spock, which I thought was Mm, wonderful. That was lovely. Yeah.
1: Yeah that was great um, I also the other mo- moment as well was when the Romulan warbler comes in and just basically wipes out the uh, 2000 invasion troops on the Vulcan ships as well that was a uh, you know properly clean up their mess as mm-hmm. well and it shows kind of how ruthless the uh, Romulans are too mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah
1: yeah and um, and, de- and Data giving Cedar the, the Vulcan neck pinch that was that was, that was was perfect too <laughs> and Picard yeah.
2: just punching the other one as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yep. yeah there, there's lots of great moments in that mm. so Obviously, the episode ends with Spock remaining on Vulcan to continue the unification movement, well, until the supernova in Star Trek 2009 anyway. So what do you think of the ending, and are there any other thoughts on unification before we move on to Relics?
0: Uh, I was just very moved by Spock saying, no, I, I have to stay. Hmm. I, have, I have to see this through. I
2: can't, I can't do otherwise. And he does, because we find out in the 31st century... What he started brought about Nivar. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, you, you, I don't know, actually, you said you're a big uh, Discovery fan as well. And yeah, yeah. I'm a, like Unification 3 was a great surprise third party to, to this story, yeah. just happened to be many, many years later.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Uni- Unification 3 was one of those when I watched it, I was like, oh man, oh my heart. Ah, <laughs> uh, Admittedly, got a little bit teary uh, when Spock showed up, but also like seeing how far uh mm.
1: this idea could go it was if we had more time i'd quite like to discuss that as well but uh, yeah. obviously we, we're, we're here to talk tng and we've got one more episode to discuss so shall we move on to relics before we wrap up then yeah
2: let's let's go on with relics
1: there's some quite heavy stuff isn't there on on sarah communication? so it's a bit more there's mm. a bit more levity to this one then so this is the fourth episode of season six it sees the crew of the enterprise d discovered a crashed vessel lost 75 years ago and the return of legendary starfleet engineer montgomery scott so uh It was written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Alexander Singer. Relics aired in the US in October '92 and UK in August '95. Now, this is the last big original series crossover before Star Trek Generations. What are your thoughts, Jeff, on this episode and the return of Scotty?
2: Ah, I love watching and rewatching this episode. I almost didn't rewatch it because. I know this episode so well, (laughs) but I watched it again because why the hell not? It's Relics, it's Scotty and Geordie. It's such a fun episode. And after seeing Sarek and Unification, it was a nice little sort of, let's have a bit of fun to round this off as well. And yeah, it is one of my favourite episodes. Um, And I think it probably would have been even without Scotty if it had just been some random engineer I think it probably would have been a favourite episode anyway but yeah it's, it's great
0: would we'll be Ashley yeah I mean it's it's kind of one of those you know familiar story devices of uh, yes old dog can in fact learn new tricks or yeah. um, there is still value in old dog you know even if they're not up on the most hip and new thing <laughs> so uh um, <laughs> Uh, you know it's kind of a we we see that in a lot of different kinds of stories not just star trek uh but i love Scotty. he has the best one liners james Doohan is just uh just a delight i laugh every time he he, he, he the the whole the whole bar scene uh which yeah. we you know, we can talk more about later uh just cracks me up as somebody who Fancies herself an amateur bartender. Uh, what is this? It is green. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that's 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 wonderful. So anyway, it's I, th- I I enjoyed it for what it was, but I think I enjoyed it more because it was James doing. Mm. James doing. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I'm less familiar with this one than the others in in a way actually, and I probably. I like meaty, intense drama, so I probably like Sarah and Unification more. Mm-hmm. But this one is just very, very fun. And I think you're right, um, is great as Scotty. So let's talk about him then in some of the scenes. So, so obviously, once they bring Scotty back for the transporter, what do you think then, Ashley, of those, you mentioned those some interactions you know, of, a, of an old dog on a new ship. So what do you think of his interactions with the crew of the Enterprise and how he kind of reacted to the very modern Enterprise-D technology too?
0: Uh, I mean, v- very much like fish out of water kind of scenario. I do think there's one line in here that's a little dated uh, where he, s- he says the uh, the doctors on the Enterprise are much prettier uh, yeah, yeah. Than, than that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he probably wouldn't have said that today. But also, I was like, well, he's he's talking about McCoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we'll let it slide then. <laughs> Gase McFadden is indeed a little bit prettier than DeForest Kelly. <laughs> so... <laughs> um we'll we'll let we'll we'll let it go but uh yeah just uh him just being like in awe of everything that the the enterprise D can do is it was a uh, is, is charming in its own way but also like yeah you, wow you've been gone a long time huh
2: <laughs> there's a particular moment where where this Ensign is showing Scotty the guest quarters that they've assigned to him yeah he's going the, you're giving me these quarters sort of thing uh, because they're massive, much, much bigger than anything that the original Enterprise had. And I just love the fact that Except
1: Scott... Pike, except Pike. I was thinking, yeah, I've seen Pike's true. quarters in in shows you Wells. They're massive.
2: But he was the captain. Mm. But he, I, I did watch it. Um, and you've obviously got the Ensign there who's just showing him round. And Scotty starts regaling him with stories from... Elan of Troyes, and from Wolf in the fold. And you can tell that this Mm. ensign is there practically checking his watch, going, I've got to go, I really can't be bothered listening to any of this. And it's like, um, do you know who he is? You sit there Mm. and listen to him. That's Scotty.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's also really sad, isn't it? You know, he's an old man and, mm. and people don't have time for him and they're busy. And and you kind of really get that in that performance as well. And I think that lonely, redundant old man persona really comes to light in his rea- in his interactions with Geordie as well. Yeah. I think Geordie very much finds him a nuisance in this episode.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I but uh, I do quite like the moment where he's going, oh, you know, you've got a lot to learn about being the miracle worker. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, funnily enough, brings us on to buffer time in Lower Decks. Right? But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was weird actually watching Geordie's interaction with him because you'd think that Geordie would want to learn from him. Yeah, his knowledge is 80 years out of date, but you'd want to listen to that, surely.
1: Yeah, he's got no time for them. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that comes off later in the, in the scene. I, I like the scene when Picard basically sets Geordie a task to work with mm. Scotty and make him feel useful again. And that's a great, great move from uh Ricard Bob. Before we get to that, but there are two scenes I probably want to call out. One, you like that that Scott scene, the, uh, the with the green on the on 10 forward actually, I think is a great and I really liked his interaction with data as well.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that was uh that was really fun. Uh the the whole reaction to synthahol was hilarious. Um, what is this? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it is green. Um, yeah. That was really delightful. Uh, and then the line he says to um, Jordy, I believe it is the next day, he's like, Sonny, don't get drunk unless you're willing to pay for it the next day. <laughs> I was like, yeah. so many words of wisdom in here. Yeah. I'm not just in engineering. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So um, probably the most famous scene in this episode is the trip to the hard deck.
0: The Enterprise. Show
3: me the bridge of the Enterprise, you chatterin' piece of... There have been five Federation ships with that name. Please specify by registry number.
1: NCC-1701.
3: No bloody A, B, C, or D. Program complete. Enter when ready.
1: What do you think of that reappearance of the original Enterprise bridge, Jeff? And uh, um, also Picard's conversation with him.
2: It's it's a great story. Uh, I mean, part of me is thinking why it was the bridge. And you'd think he'd have created engineering. But yeah. he goes Less on. Less iconic, maybe. Yeah, that's it. And he says, oh, here's to you, lads. And he's obviously raising a glass to to Kirk, to Sulu, to Uhura, to Chekhov. Anybody that's on that bridge that he would have interacted with. But, yeah, it's the moments with Picard where they're reminiscing and he says that the Enterprise was the ship he thinks of the most. And you get this lovely scene of Picard talking about how much he loved the Stargazer and, you Mm. know, his first command. And he says, everything about the Enterprise D is a much, much better ship, but I would give my right arm, basically, to command the Stargazer again. And you can see that these are two... You know, two seasoned professionals, two seasoned Starfleet officers, and they're having this moment. They're talking about it. They're really having a good time, and I think it kind of gets spoiled a bit. Where Scotty then goes, "I think it's time I grew up," and I'm thinking, "No, that's a great scene. Leave it like that."
1: Oh, well, there's a sadness to it. Yeah, you know, I'm just a computer. It's, it's just a computer-generated fantasy. I'm just an old man hiding in it. It's such a sad line. Mm. From uh, from Scotty in that moment, but of course, then you get the moments when he get him and Geordie working together, and um, and basically, you know, I mean, you got you got the uh, the subplot of this Dyson sphere, which is a really great concept. I've, I've never I never heard of of this uh, theory before of a Dyson sphere, which is basically a sphere around a sun. Mm. But um, it's a great it's a great concept. It looks like a Death Star, but um, I like uh, Geordie and uh, Scotty working together on the Nolan and Nolan and and their efforts to kind of save the Enterprise when the Enterprise gets pulled in as well.
0: Yeah, I I I love how Jordy's like ah you know we you know we need uh, all this time uh, you know how can we you know this is dead in the water and Scotty's like yeah well here we're gonna do it anyway <laughs> like he's like yeah. yeah well we're you know he's gonna show him all that miracle worker uh, action uh, to to make it happen so I I I love like the uh, the determination there. It's like will this work mm. probably not but we gotta try. We're gonna do it anyway. I thought all that was wonderful.
1: It's it's a great scene. Um, I I do want I, the one thing like that kind of sprung to my mind though is when the Enterprise comes out and the Genon is using the shields to buffer the the gates. How I, I, I I've completely lost my subject knowledge here. You can't sure you can't transport people through shields that are raised. Am I missing something there?
2: No, you're not. That uh, no.
1: They, 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 the Shields or the Janolan are still around the Janolan, mm. buffering the gateway, and they come in and they, they transport Geordie and Scotty off the ship before it gets crushed.
2: They might have had the frequency.
1: Oh, right. Okay. I'll, uh... <laughs> uh,
0: somebody teched the tech properly, and they were able to do it. It, it was
1: Scotty and Geordie. That's how they did it. Yeah. That's how they did
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And shout
2: out to a mate of mine called Mark Mitchell, um, who when he first showed me this episode, he says, and now the Millennium Falcon moment. And as the Enterprise weaves through and squeezes through the doors to get out, it looks exactly like the Millennium Falcon. And yeah,
1: it's a great shot, yeah. a great shot, yeah. yeah. Do I pretty quickly talk about the uh, the final scene, that, 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 that final moment when the crew say goodbye to, uh, to Scotty too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought that was that was really sweet, and he, uh, you know, he and Worf give each other a look, <laughs> like yeah. you know, still real confused about having Klingons in Starfleet, mm. but you know, we'll let it slide.
1: Yeah, it's like the cast bidding farewell to a, a Star Trek legend, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And Deanna Troy's very first appearance in the episode is where she gives Scotty a hug and says goodbye to him. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great scene. Yeah, and so that comes to the end of our discussion on relics and our talk on TOS crossovers on Star Trek, the next generation. So thank you, Ashley, for coming to the podcast to talk Star Trek with us. Where can people find you online?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, best ways to interact with me are probably on Twitter, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Nerdy Blogger, or you can like my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the nerdy blogger. You can also uh, read my work on my blog, nerdyblogging. You can also read my work on fangirlish.com, where I read about film and television, mostly Star Trek. And you can also hear my words being read on the Sci-Fi Five podcast, which is five minutes of science fiction history, five days a week, and that is a Roddenberry production. It is an official Roddenberry podcast. So you can hear me there uh as well as on we are starfleet which is a uh, uh star trek show about uh all modern star trek minus picard we're leaving that to the uh make it so guys and then you can also hear me on uh podcast 616 uh which is a show i do with my co-host hugh McStay, all about uh marvel
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Actually, Anything, Jeff, from you?
0: Uh,
2: you can get hold of me on Twitter, on at NCC underscore 17 Formula One. I'm also starting a new podcast about the TV series Farscape. Uh, that's due to be launching very soon, if not already out by now. You can find that on the We Made This Network, and the Twitter handle for that is at UnchartedPodWMT.
1: And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Baz Greenland. And uh, you can find my other podcasts, um, including The TARDIS Crew, a DOT2 podcast I co-host with my son, Ben. And a Dream Game Reform, a Battle of 5 podcast too, both on the We Made This podcast network. And I'll share ideas of those and any books I write on uh, Baz Greenland at Twitter too. And of course, you can find this podcast by searching Beyond Firepoint on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Next month we'll be reviewing the latest and final season of Star Trek Picard. In the meantime, thank you Jeff and Ashley. It's always fun talking Star Trek.
2: Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you.
1: So, until next time, thanks for listening. Let's see what's out there.
3: Engage.